This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Laza. And Laza was in a 30-year abusive marriage to a raging narcissist. And to make matters even worse, one of her adult children has become just as abusive toward her in the aftermath. It's a story about young love, feeling trapped, parental alienation, and getting in touch with your spirituality to help you heal. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, a podcast that gives a voice to survivors of narcissistic abuse. I am Brandon Chadwick, but my friends call me Chad, and thanks for tuning in to this episode. So what is a narcissist, you may ask? Well, for the purposes of this podcast, we refer to a narcissist as anyone who has displayed a pattern of behavior that shows a limited capacity to appreciate others' perspectives. It is that simple. And now, before we get into our episode with Laza, I just wanted to thank everyone in the Narcissist Apocalypse community for listening to the show and sharing your thoughts by email, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. A big shout out to all of our friends in our Narcissist Apocalypse Facebook support group for just being a great group of people. Also, a reminder, if you haven't left us a review, please do leave us a review on whatever podcast service you use, Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, CastBox, etc., etc. Leaving us a five-star review helps the show out when it comes to rankings. Now, if you want to be part of our show, please go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Go to the Guest Form button, press it, fill out the form, and we will go from there. However, the quickest way to be part of our show is to also go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com, and it's for our Read a Letter to Your Narcissist compilation episode. While there, there's a button that says Send Voicemail. You can record up to five minutes. Read your letter through that voicemail, or if you don't want to read your letter yourself, send me your letter at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com. Myself or my old pal Melissa will read it on that episode. Also, our new podcast, Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, is now available for your listening pleasure. Yes, that is right. Three episodes have been released so far. A fourth is on the way this week. Last week, we interviewed Claudia Sinai Mosias, and we discussed the narcissist authentic self versus the false self. It was a great episode. We deep dove into my own insecurities. I was a guinea pig for the episode. It was a great episode. So thank you for Claudia for being part of it. She is also part of our therapist directory at abusetherapy.org. Yes, that is right, abusetherapy.org. If you are looking for a coach or a therapist, Go to abusetherapy.org and find a therapist or a coach there. And if you do so, it helps support the show by using the therapists and the coaches that are on there. If you need help with your narcissistic abuse recovery, your healing process, please go to abusetherapy.org. Last thing, do you know what else supports the show? 
We have a Patreon. That is right. We have a Patreon now, everyone. Behind-the-scenes stuff on the show, episodes that have never made it to air for various reasons, usually because they're too short to be on, on the main podcast. Also, we're going to have interviews up there with former guests. We're going to do some catch-up episodes. We might even do some some movie watch-along episodes. More special type of episodes are going to be on there for people that join our Patreon and support the show. You can find that at Patreon dot com slash narcissist apocalypse that is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash narcissist apocalypse go there sign up support the show extra content for everyone who can't get enough of what we already have because i know there are other bunch of you out there that have asked you know have said i'd listen to a show every day if i could so here we're going to have the ones that don't make it to air and some extra stuff, some follow-up stuff. I'm now just repeating myself because I'm rambling, and I should just get out of my own way. That's right, everyone. I'm going to do that right now. Here is my conversation with Laza. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode. With me today, I have Laza. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you. And you were in a 30-year abusive marriage to someone with narcissistic personality disorder. And I am mm-hmm. just going to get out of your way and let you tell mm-hmm. your story. So thank you once again for sharing with us today. Thank you. Um, like I said, it's been 30 years of marriage. And um, I met him when I was 16. Um, we live United States. Uh, my parents were military. His stepfather was retired military, but was a local to this place. And um, I met him through a friend. And when I first met him, I couldn't stand him. I thought he was obnoxious. I thought he was arrogant. I thought he was an ass. And he left for training. He went into the military. And he came back. And he and I started dating. And, um, but at first it was this casual dating. He just come just pick up me from work. Very sweet, very kind, um, did small things for me that I thought were just so great being young. Um, he's a, he's only a couple years older than me, but he was in college and I was still in high school. Um, we started making it a couple on New Year's Eve. And right after that, things started going downhill very quickly. Um, the fights, the arguments, um, the gaslighting, but I was so young and naive. I didn't know what that was. During, Even though I'd seen ju- it before. I, sorry, during okay. this was uh, before you guys, so you guys became official pretty early, correct? Yes. So, be- um, so we've before, been friends be- a couple of years. So before that, were you, like, was there love bombing going on? How did he kind of build your trust? Was there, um, was there mirroring of your stuff? Yeah, um, he always encouraged me to be myself. I was too pretty for these guys I was dating. I shouldn't be treated so poorly. You know, I wasn't really being treated poorly. Come on, we're in high school. Um, you know, so it wasn't like I was being treated horribly. But, you know, it was like, you deserve better. Um, you're beautiful. Um, you're this, you're that. You're smart. And um, that ended pretty quickly with him. So how old, um, how old are you right here? You're like 18 years old? 17. Oh, so you're 17. 17. Okay. Now I'm 17. Okay. And um, we date for four months. But during this time, things were happening like these explosive fights. Um, and we broke up 
on and off constantly. And there was these volatile fires I've never experienced in my life. I was so confused by it, I assumed I was the problem. Um, but looking back, I realized I wasn't. The fights, one was over, I had a beer. I lived in, a, in, in an area of the drinking age was 18. My parents didn't care if I drank beer at home. Um, he could tell I was drinking something over the phone, and he says, what are you drinking? At this time, he did not drink. He was very anti-drinking um, because his father was an alcoholic who no longer lived with him. And I said, I'm drinking a beer. Big deal. I mean, that's just kind of who I am. I'm going to tell you what I'm doing, like it or not. And it caused a huge fight. Um, we broke up. We got back together. These fights happened all the time. They became physical. And I'm not going to lie and say I didn't retaliate and hit him back because I did. Young and dumb, I stood up for myself. I wasn't going to let some man hit me in the face or grab me by the throat. I was going to hit you back. And you, so you're 17 here. Are you telling anyone that this is going on at that age or no? No, I, I, didn't, I didn't know this was abnormal. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that sounds crazy because I knew it was wrong. I grew up in a very stable family in the sense I was with my grandparents all the time who had this loving, compassionate relationship. And I never saw them strike each other, call each other names. I just thought this is his personality or there's something inherently wrong with me. And, um, and I think he at one point even made me believe it was me, that I'm too strong and too independent. Um, I don't, I don't know those words were actually said, but that's what I started believing about myself. And these fights would happen. And then there was a time when we had broke up and I was going to prom with another boy. We were broke up. And this boy and I in high school didn't know each other very well. We decided to go to prom together. Well, he found out about it and he's trying to get me back very hard. And I agreed to meet him. And he's like, well, I'll go to prom with you. I'm like, no, I'm not breaking my date with this guy. doesn't mean... He and I are going to date. We're just going to prom together. It's not a big deal. And I'm a junior in high school at this point. And um, it escalated. He held me down in a park on base to the point I said, if you don't let me go, I'm going to bite you. Because my hands and my legs are, you know, he's got, he's sitting on me. And he's got my arms above my head on the ground. And I said, I'm going to bite you because I'm going to get you off of me. This is not okay. And I did. The cops were called because of people walked by and they thought he was sexually assaulting me, which he was not. And um, no charges were pulled against me. They said it was completely self-defense. And that should have been my big dumb moment. And, um, and he did have bite marks on where I bit him in the chest because that was the only way I was trying to get him off of me. And like, again, I said that should have been my dumb moment where I said goodbye. But a few days later, he starts calling me and devaluing, devaluing the situation, saying it wasn't that bad. It wasn't, I was just trying to get through your head that I love you and I want to be with you. And for some reason, I just assumed this again was normal. He was just trying to tell me what he, lo- he loved me. Well, my parents weren't very happy about this. And mind you, at this point, I just turned 18. And I moved out. I moved in with his parents and him, and we got married. Now, mind you, we'd only been dating for four months, and we had an 11-day engagement. So things went really quick with him. Your parents must have been beside themselves, I assume, because the, the, oh, the, 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 my the, mother had to go. My mother went into therapy. 
Yeah, my, it's upset my parents trem- yeah, tremendously. Because you went from the police being called to getting married within how how long? Like three weeks, four weeks? Three or four weeks, yeah. yeah. Um, if that. Like I said, I had an 11-day engagement, and I basically got engaged right a couple days after I moved out of the house. So when you probably tried to justify what was going on to them, how did you explain that to them? I don't remember. Um, I know I invited them to our wedding, and they didn't show up. I knew that my mother was completely distraught. And at this point, my mom did go to therapy, and she was explaining to the therapist everything was going on. And this is the late 80s. Um, so there wasn't a lot of this narcissist um, or anything like that. He just says, I, what you're telling me, this, this is the therapist to my mother, is it sounds like he might be a sociopath. Because back then, that's kind of how the terms were. It's either you were normal or a sociopath. There wasn't all the in-between. And did this isolate you from your family right here? A- absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and during this time, um, my parents got their orders to leave. And so I knew within six months they would be gone. And I'd be isolated on a small island in the middle of nowhere. And parts of me were terrified. Um, and during this time, he and I were still having these explosive fights. And I, I am not a fighter. I, even though I'm strong and independent, I don't, I'd be pushed really hard to fight back. Um, I am rational, and I'll say I need five minutes to think about this. I don't agree with what you said. Let me think about this for a minute before I give you an answer. And through all this, like I said, we're we're having these explosive fights, stupid fights. Like we were playing Monopoly. I caught him cheating in Monopoly, and he threw the board game at me. I'm like, you're calling me an effing cheater, and I'm not a cheater. Well, I just criticized his character. I didn't know that then. I just thought he was being a young boy, you know. Um, a young man, and I, you know, somehow, fra- you know, fractured his little ego. Well, I never wanted to have children. Not that um, kids are bad or I wouldn't be a good mom. It just I had so many dreams and aspirations to be something more than my mother was. And not that she was a horrible parent or didn't do great in life. It's just I wanted to be more. And... Um, I popped up pregnant and with my oldest son. And I was devastated at first because I thought, I'm 18 years old. I'm still in high school. Who wants to be a mom in high school? Because <laughs> I was going into my senior year. And um, so through all of that, he would start saying things like, you know, this isn't my baby because I can't, I, I'm, I'm infertile. Just a little comments like this, it would just kind of put this doubt that I'm out doing something I'm not supposed to be doing. And I'm just looking and I'm like, are you crazy? <laughs> I mean, I'm already upset. Why are you telling me these things? Um, even through my entire pregnancy, these fights continued. And a lot of times I start going, having contractions and things like that. And he'd say, this is your fault. If you would stop and just be rational, this wouldn't be going on. I have my son, and I went into instant postpartum depression. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And um, do you have any support from I, friends during this time, or are you n- completely isolated? I had friends, but they were only at school friends. Okay. I've actually moved school. I went to his high, old high school um, through all this um, because it was closer because we moved out on our own. And um, I decided I was going to call my parents and leave. And at this point, he gets a hold of his mother. And, you know, it's a big fight. She's a lot like him. And um, she says, you're not taking that baby over my dead body. Well, now I'm very isolated because I'm not abandoning my child. And uh, I finally get to the point where I need to leave this location. I need to come back to the States because I needed more support. And things got better for a while. And I thought, well... Things are good. He's finally seeing the light. I'm not crazy. He was going through a bad moment, whatever. And within a year, I'm pregnant again (laughs) with my second son. But during this time, we do move back to the state. And things had calmed down a bit. Um, There's still the names calling me a fucking bitch, a whore, um, things like that. We still had these fights where I was like, where did this come from? And, you know, he'd throw things across the room and then tell me he's not going to clean it up as soon as um, we were having guests or whatever. But his schedule, he was in school. His schedule, he went to school at night and he slept during the day. So I didn't really have to deal with him too much. And I have my second son. Things are still not horrible, but not good. There's still the gaslighting, the argument, telling me that I'm the crazy one. And I decided I didn't want more children. I, I, we, I tried leaving. He used kids against me. I decided no more kids because this is only going to make the problem worse. Quit adding children to this. <laughs> and before I knew it, I'm pregnant with child number three. And you want to talk about devastated. So I have a lot of complications with my third pregnancy. Um, you know, I think three kids in three years takes a toll on a woman's body, even though that's what we're designed for. But um, and being young, so I had a baby at nineteen, twenty, and then I'll be tw- I was twenty one when I had my third, and I was on bed rest, and um, there's still the fights, and they called a family member over from overseas to come and take care of me because I couldn't take care of my two children while he was at work, and. I said, these fights are still going on. They get explosive. At the end of this pregnancy, in my eighth month, or seven and a half months, we get into an argument, and he looked at me and says, you're just a leeching whore. All women are leeching whores. And, of course, me being me, I said, well, wait till I tell your mother she's a leeching whore. (laughs) I mean, you're insulting me, and I had it. It came out of my mouth. He threw me on the bed. And um, try to drag me back off it by my ankles. And I'm fighting him. And the whole time, 
you know, he's still trying to grab me, he's grabbing me by the arms. I mean, I have bruises all up and down my legs and my arms. And he realizes he's not going to get me out of the house. He's trying to kick me out of the house, saying this is his house. I'll follow his rules. He jumps on me, and str- he's straddling me. But, so he's sitting on my belly, and he has my arm down at first, and he's in my face. And he lets my arms go, and he puts his hands against my throat. And at this time, he's held my throat for quite a while, and I can't breathe. And I start going limp. At that point, he let go. Well, I'm up all night now because I'm now in labor again. So I've been in labor for five, four months on and off. I'm trying to pick the medication to stop the labor. And um, he goes on to bed like nothing ever happened. And you know, it's my fault. If I hadn't said what I'd said, he wouldn't have had to do that to me. But um, the next morning, he gets up and goes to work, and he says, don't you dare call me and tell me you're in labor. I don't care if you're hemorrhaging to death. And I'm thinking, what a thing to say to a woman who's carrying your child. Well, of course, I am in labor, and it was a stop, and I ended up having my son, and he was born with a rare birth defect because I thought, as soon as this baby's born, I'm out of here. Well, I couldn't leave. My son's in the NICU. He's fighting for his life. And um, it's rest in emergency surgery and, and all that. So we're dealing with all this. Um, my son does recover from it, comes home. He's only home for a few weeks and is rushed back into emergency surgery. And he nearly died because he had a bowel obstruction that actually um, caused him to be sepsis. So he's, you know, fever and throwing up bile and it was a nightmare. And my ex looks at me and says, that kid ain't mine. And I said, why would you say that? He says, he ain't mine. He don't look like the others. Now my ex and I look very different. I'm dark hair, dark eyed. He's blonde and blue eyed. Um, this particular child was born with dark, black, curly hair like I was when I was born. I'm like, there's two parents. Just because the other two were born blonde doesn't mean this isn't your kid. I mean, come on, I have some genetics there. So I said, that's fine. You can think that. Um, Let's go ahead and do a DNA test. And being military, I knew that I get child support no matter what. Um, And I said, but when we do the DNA test and it comes back, I will be leaving regardless of what the test says. I'm not going to be treated this way. Um, He refused it. And then later he started accusing me because I was in the hospital all the time with my son that I was having affairs with the doctors. Come on, I'm a 21-year-old woman with three kids. Come on. <laughs> it was ludicrous. So you're, st- you're, 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 you're 21 years old right now, correct? I'm 21. So you're 21. Yes. Well, not, not right now, but at the time you're, you're, the, the, you're yes. 21. And you have three yes. children. Yes. In your mind right here, you're trying to get out of this life. And there's a lot yes. of people out there who are probably listening who Mm -hmm. uh, struggle with getting out of these types of relationships and you struggled for another 27 years uh, to to do that. So, you know, how many times, I don't know if I'm I'm going too too much forward in your story, but, you know, how how many times did you try to leave and was this like a thing every, every, uh, month, like week, um, and did the military? Did you try to go to the military for help at all, or am I just jumping too far ahead right now? Um, 
I had at one point, we had a blown up fight where he pushed, this is before my third son was born, and he was holding my infant son, my middle one, in my arms, and he pushed me from one end of the house to the other, and I kicked him out. Um, the military put him in to the barracks and requested that we go to therapy. Well, therapy was, we didn't go through a true therapist. We went to a minister, and I loved him. He was a great guy, but he wasn't, he wasn't geared for what we needed. And so um, relentlessly, I let him back. Um, he was, the one thing about my ex, he was great about taking care of me financially. There was always more money than we needed. Um, you know, we got to do fun things. The kids always had clothes on their back, food in their belly. I never worried about those things. But, yes, I tried leaving multiple times. And I'd say about, it would vary. Sometimes it would be once a week. Sometimes as much as, as far apart as six months. It depended on his behavior. And he'd always excuse his behavior that he hated the military and he hated his job. And um, he was doing this for us. So that I got guilted. Um, and, of course, I had a sick son. And his medical expenses would have been horrendous in the real world. The military was covering all of his medical expenses. By the time he was three, he'd been in intensive care for like 15 times and hospitalized like 36. We moved out of country because um, his orders sent us out of country. And we got a compassionate reassignment back because of my son's health. And I thought, okay, now that we're getting some help for my son, maybe things will get better. I always held out hope that things would get better under the next, after the next crisis. Things did not get better. Um, and are you still are you are you still uh, suffering at that time from postpartum depression? Probably so. Um, dealing with a sick child, you kind of put that on the back burner because I think goes back to the, the taking care of your child who's mm-hmm. sick. Mm-hmm. You don't care about anything else. Um, you you know all you worry about is taking care of that child. And taking care of the other two is the best you can and trying to keep uh, normalcy with them. And how did your how did your husband treat them? He was very hard on them. Um, he was always a stringent a strict father. I wouldn't say he didn't show love. I believe wholeheartedly he loved them in the best that he could. But he was always very strict with them. Um I was always, you know, if I disciplined, I'd say, tell me why you did this. What's going on with you, with the kids? What's going on with you so I can understand why you behave this way? He was just a lawmaker. Like, nope, this is how it is. Everything to him is very black and white. I, I kind of see things in gray. Um, he's black and white. Were they scared of him in any way? I, yeah, they were. Um, absolutely. And especially as they got older, they come to me and not him with problems. Um, and during all this time, our middle one started having behavioral problems. And I begged my ex to take him to see a, a therapist or a doctor or someone. He was reluctant. He just would say, I'm a shitty mom. I'm not hard enough on him. I need to you know, lay down the law. And the kids knew my boundaries. They knew my rules. They didn't give me a lot of help except the middle one. Um, and over time, you know, they were getting older. They were in school. School started having problems with this particular one. 
And he finally agreed to let me take him in to a doctor because he thought he was on drugs. Well, I think he was babbling. I'm not going to deny that because he was almost now a teenager, but we found he was diagnosed bipolar. And once he got on bipolar medication, things leveled off. But there were still explosive fights between my ex and I, um, constantly accusing me of cheating. So you're going through this. You don't really have a support system at all. As far no. as hopelessness goes, did you see at all – at a certain point, you were, you were trying to get out. And then – I, yes. You know, and then at a certain point, I assume that you start believing that there is no way out. Yeah, for years I believed that. Um, I suffer from OCD. I've had OCD since a child um, because I don't deal with anxiety well. Um, I was a cutter when I was younger, and I would start cutting. It was only really the relief I had from it kind of transfers that emotional pain to physical pain, so I could kind of let it go. Because, like I said, it was like a, a roller coaster ride with him. You never knew from day to day um, what person you were going to get. And um, I was just surviving. I wasn't living, for sure. And you were now far away from this, you know, this reminds me of the song Red Dirt Girl by mm-hmm. Emmylou Harris. Do you know yeah. that song? I've heard it. I don't know it well, but I've heard it. Yeah, and, you know, someone that had all these dreams, and then mm-hmm. she married uh, a guy, had, you know, a few children, and all of a sudden, you mm-hmm. know, she never got out of Alabama, where she had all these plans to go right. everywhere she wanted to go. The difference between you right. and, and this person is that, you know, you're in this army world, so you, you are, I guess, moving around a little, um, but well, at this still, point, not, he had gotten out of the military. Sorry. At this point, at this point, he had gotten out, um, and we'd moved to North, to where we live presently. Okay. Um, so, because he hated the military so bad, and I guess I skipped that. I apologize. Um, we had gotten out of the military. Um, my son's medical condition stabilized, and um, he was able to get out, and we moved closer to his family because they had the greatest. They had some really the world's best hospitals in this area. And so if I needed to take my son there, we could. But still, that's his family. It wasn't my family. You know, I couldn't go and talk to his family about his issues because his whole family, I hate to say this, I don't know if you've seen the movie uh, Deliverance, that his family is set up much like this clan in Deliverance. You know, they can all treat each other like crap, but don't let anyone who is not blood retaliate because you will pay the wrath. And I knew that. I knew without a shadow of a doubt, if I did anything to retaliate, I'd pay for it. And it kept me hostage. It kept, it kept me a hostage in my own you know, family. And so um, it was a, a very stressful situation. I had nowhere to go. My family at this point was on the other coast. Um, I didn't tell them everything going on. I didn't want their sympathy, but yet I was ashamed. Were you afraid that if you told them they would do an I told you so? Yes, maybe. Mm. Uh, um, that and, you know, he, a lot of times I'll say, I'm leaving, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. This isn't healthy. This is toxic. He'd make excuses 
And when he realized the excuses weren't working for me, nope, working any longer for me, he would tell me he would not pay me child support. He'd leave the country and go back home and quit his job. They couldn't get, you know, blood from a turnip. And I think looking back, he held me hostage financially, to be honest. Um, and I knew I had this millennial child that I didn't think I could take care of on my own, or so I was led to believe. But uh, like I said, we kind of went through good times and bad times, you know, went through the honeymoon periods, and things were great. Um, and as the kids got older, things were a little bit better because the kids weren't as much of a stress. Um, money was a little better. We were both working now. I opened my own business. He was working a disabled job that he seemed to enjoy. So as far as opening and your own more, sorry, as far as opening your own business, is that something mm-hmm. that was encouraged or something you said to yourself, I need to do this once I am able to I don't have to stay home with the children as much anymore. I need to start creating a life for myself outside the home? Um, I wouldn't say he ever encouraged it. He never wanted me to make it larger, you know. Um, he didn't mind that I was working uh, issue. He never minded that I was working. But he never encouraged me to grow it to be extremely successful. He just liked that I was contributing financially. Uh, but, it, yeah, he never encouraged it. Mm-hmm. So um, it did start growing. It, it became where I could have taken care of myself. And I, I decided I was going to leave. Now, mind you, a lot of times happened. A lot of things have happened in between. My now children are high school age or older. And... Um, I'm just like, I've had enough. I, I'm tired of feeling the way I feel. I hate coming home. I hate when his car pulls in the driveway. I hate it, hate it, hate it. Um, at this point, he had started drinking. And we went out one night. And I had drank a little bit more than he did. And all the way home, he screamed at me. What a bitch I was. Men were looking at me. Why do I have to dress up and have men look at me? Um, I got home, got in the shower, and he sat in the bathroom screaming at me and telling me I was a shitty mother. He's ashamed of me. Um, and it's kind of like, I've got to get out of here. I've got to get out of here. He bribed my children. They all wanted to live with me. He bribed them and said that if you move with your mother, you're not going to have the nice things you have now, like motorcycles and things like this. Because the kids, you know, like I said, more money was being made. The kids got more things. Um, and one by one, they came into my bedroom and said, we're going to live with dad because he bought them off. But all through the years, they all said, mom, just leave, mom, just leave, mom, just leave. And I'm easier said than done. At this point, we, it got to a real low and we went into marriage counseling and not that I disliked our counselor. I just don't think he really saw the, the big picture because I kept my mouth shut a lot. And we were in therapy five minutes, and he looks right at my ex and says, I don't know you, but what I hear out of your mouth makes you sound like an asshole. No wonder why she wants to leave you. And, of course, I couldn't help but hide. I mean, I try not to grin because I'm like, finally, someone sees what I see. Yes. Even though, at, looking back, they just didn't say anything because he was my husband. Um, we went through therapy, and things got better for a while. And I, and I say a while, he thinks it's like four or five years. 
And it, we had good times and bad times, so they just weren't as explosive. He kept it under check a little more. But there was something always on. There, it, it was never right. I never, I still walked on eggshells. I still worried about what I said. Um, I still didn't want to come home. I still didn't want to see him. Um, you're, and, you're living under fear, obligation, and guilt. Every every absolutely. motion, everything you're doing, everything you say, everything you do, absolutely. it is, you know, it's a you're being controlled in some way. Even if he's not saying anything, you're self-controlling. Absolutely. Um, I got to be a master of going out in public and putting on a smile and hiding tears and puffy eyes and um, just saying things are great. We're a great family. We're great. We're great. And the whole time I'm thinking, I, hate, I, I think I hate him. <laughs> and I don't hate anybody. So hate's a very strong word for me. But when I started feeling for him, it was total disgust. And then I started thinking, am I disgusted in him or am I disgusted in myself? Probably both. And um, I'm kind of rushing through some of this to get to the present because the present probably is the most, most impacted. Um, so, we, like I said, we went through marriage counseling, things got better. And things started kind of falling apart again. And we go into a concert. We did a lot of things together. As long as I could keep them out in public, things were good. He wasn't going to show his real self in front of everybody. Let me back up for a minute because this is important, I guess. He didn't just have this behavior with me. He did it with his own family. He had an out, uh, falling out with one of his brothers and um, who lived local. And he shows up at his house one evening. And they get into an, a, a verbal argument. And my ex looks at his brother and says, do you want to die tonight, motherfucker? Well, my brother-in-law goes into his house and calls his son-in-law, who is a deputy sheriff. Well, I didn't know any of this was happening. None of it. If I wasn't there, I was at home. And our son, one of our sons gets called, and he shows up at the house like, where's dad? I'm like, I don't know. He was supposed to be home a while ago. I, I don't know. It's probably out the guys. I don't know. It was just something he was allowed to do, but I was. He could go out with the guys, but I couldn't go out with the girls. Finally, my son tells me, well, my, my uncle just called and said this has happened. I'm like, what? What? Because they want to know where the guns are. We, we own firearms. So um, I go looking for them. They're all in the home. I'm like, okay, everything's fine. He didn't have a gun. Okay, great, great, great. About this time, my ex rolls in, and I say, what has happened? What have you done? You don't understand. The police are coming to our house. And he says, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. Well, the police show up, and he takes off out the back door. It's early March. It's like 15 degrees out. He doesn't have a coat on. He doesn't have shoes on. He's hiding out in the woods for an hour. Finally, he comes back because he's actually developing frostbite. And the police bring him in so he can warm up. They take him to another part of the house. They interrogate him. And one of the, the, one of the police officers comes to me and says, I recommend that you go down to the county office and go to the magistrate's office and have him committed. Oh, wow. And I'm looking, I'm like, I, I don't even know what's going on. <laughs> um, and, of course, the son, the son of ours, like, Mom, don't do it, don't do it. Because at this point, they almost look at him like a pity party story. Like, almost like they can relate to him to some degree. I won't say all of them, but a few of them. And I say, how long do I have to decide this? 
And he says, you have 24 hours. You're the only person who can have him committed because you're his wife. I said, all right. Of course, now I'm getting talked down by my son. I'm getting talked down by him because the police have left. Though they made us surrender all of our guns. Have they explained to, to you what, what happened yet? No. And then they, no. they're just, no one a, they're just asking you, do you want him committed? Yes. And I'm like sitting there going, I really have no clue what has happened. No one's informed me of what's happened. Um, the police leave. My son leaves with the guns to take him out of the house. And I'm saying, like, you need to talk to me and tell me what's happened. And, of course, it's, it's all the other person's fault. I'm not at fault. That's the story. That's BS. Um, the next day, he does kind of slip up and tell me, yeah, I, I kind of told I wish he was dead. Uh, I told my brother this. I told him that. Come to find out that's not how it really went down. And, um, and of course, I'm sitting there kind of like blindside going, what? (laughs) This is insanity. Who gets the police called on you for, you know, what is going on? But he said his behavior did slip with other people in the family is my point. And um, back to we were in the car coming back from the concert, and I said, hey, and I had a few beers in me. We both, at this point, had been drinking. We're drinking again. I won't say excessively, but I was at a concert, had a few beers. Taco Bell had these really great fries. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone talked about that I had never tried. And I said, hey, come through the Taco Bell drive through on the way back so I can try these fries. And that was a fight. And he slams on the brakes, and we're in a very um, bad neighborhood. Well, there's a lot of drug activity, prostitution. It's a bad neighborhood. He slams on the brakes, and he says, shut the fuck up or get the fuck out of my car. Well, at this point, I'm like, you know, your behavior's starting to slip, and I am not going back to this. So I get out of the car. Not a wise decision. But I thought, I'm going to take my chances out here than in the car. And I start walking down the road, and he's now circling around 100 times and um, begging me to get back in the car. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm not going to be treated this way over stupid fries. Really? This is ridiculous. And he kept on and kept on. Well, he comes around again, and he um, says, if you don't get in this car, I'm going to kill myself. I've heard now through the years this multiple times. Snap. And I said, you go do you. Do whatever you got to. Quit using this as a vice for me. You're thinking that you're going to get your way by threatening your life. Did you used to fall for something like that? And then all of a sudden, like over time, you're like, he's never going to do it. Yes. And see, he knew at this point, I, suicide runs kind of, I wouldn't say rampant in my family, but I have three family members who have committed suicide. One was a grandmother, my father's mother, my half sister, who is my father's other daughter. And I've had an uncle. I don't do well with this threat. To me, it's, it's BS. It's, it's a childish act of threatening it when you're not getting your way. It's a little boy ha- or child having a temper tantrum, and I'm going to hold my breath. And maybe that's not a healthy way of looking at it, but that's just kind of how I've gotten with it when people threaten to me because I have lost people to suicide, and it's a horrendous emotional roller coaster with that. So for me, the threat, it just pushes me into kind of a hypervigilant, you don't get pity from me, I guess, is my point. Mm -hmm. I did get back in the car, 
we went back to my son's house. By the way, my son was with me and um, his wife. And we go back there, and uh, I, I don't even know how to even, you know, handle the situation. I, I think I felt like I was in an insane asylum at this point. Later the next morning, we go back home, and, um, of course, he wants to fight about it, and he doesn't want to fight about what he has said or done. It was me not responding to him the way he thought I should respond. It was everything I had said after he pushed and pushed and pushed. And, of course, me being me, I apologized to just put a Band-Aid over it. And um, things were okay for a while, for a short while. Um, Well, we met up with a friend of mine um, for dinner and drinks, and... um, he was in a mood because he doesn't like her. But he finally said, I will start hanging out with your friends. I'll start trying to make an effort. We met her and her boyfriend for dinner, and you could tell right away he had an attitude. And as the night progressed, he started drinking more and more. And it got to the point where he grabbed me by the face, like very hard. And I pulled away. And believe it or not, even then, I didn't think this was odd behavior because it became a normalcy. And my friend saw it. And she jumped up, and he grabbed my face again, and she got between us. And she was face-to-face. I'm not going to touch her like this. This is not okay. At this point, her boyfriend takes him outside, and he is now threatening to kill me. He's going to kill me. I'm a whore. I must be fucking someone because, you know, I always wear the makeup. I always do my hair. I always this. I always that. I didn't know this conversation had happened. I didn't know what happened outside. Well, the next day, or two days later, because my friend waited for me to go to work, and she called me. I want you to know what was said. And I was like, okay. And she told me what was said outside, because her boyfriend had told told her. And I thought, this is it. I'm done. I'm absolutely done. He's going to kill me. He's threatened me too many times. That he actually might kill me. I was so devalued at this point. Um, and this is like it's where it gets really sensitive. Um, and this is still really hard for me. I took the gun out of the drawer. Um, actually, I was moving it. We'd put it away in a different drawer because we had family guests there and stuff. We didn't want the gun in an easy access area. At this point, the guests had left, and I was moving the gun. And I sat on that gun for an hour, and I held that gun to my face. And it'll be a moment I'll never forget. And I thought, if that man walks through this door right now, I may kill him. And it scared me. It scared me to a point that I realized I've got to do something. So how does it end? Well, um, he asked me to go to marriage counseling. So we do. I thought, great, finally we're going somewhere with this. And about three sessions in, and him admitting doing all these things, our therapist says, I'd like to meet with you two separately. I'd like to talk about your childhood. So my ex goes first, and apparently that's what they did talk about, is their childhood, his childhood. And I go in for my session, and my therapist says, I don't need to know about your childhood. You've already talked about it in the session. He says, 
I want to know what your plan is. I said, what are you talking about? He says, what do you plan on doing? I said, I'm still not sure of the question, because I'm not going to divulge information that I'm not, you know, I'm very weary about this. He says, this is a private conversation. This will never leave you and I. He says, are you wanting to work this out or are you wanting to leave? And I said, I want to leave. He says, why haven't you? I said, because I'm trapped. I'm trapped financially. I'm trapped for medical insurance. I'm trapped, trapped, trapped. He says, well, if you want out, I'll give you the resources to get out. I'll help you. He says, this is an illicit narcissist. He's also a covert and an overt narcissist. He says, this man is dangerous. He will kill you. There's no if, answer, but it's not if, it's when. He will kill you. So I'm sitting here, I'm kind of like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know, at this point now, I can't see my therapist to make the next plans um, because it's Christmas. Anyway, and my ex's birthday is Christmas. So we go to our son's, uh, son's house. And the party was not revolving all about him because it's also Christmas, and he's making side remarks to me. He takes off and pouts. He gets me, you know, we finally leave early, and he, on the way home he's screaming at me. And I start cutting even heavier. And I thought, this has got to stop. This has got to stop. I'm either going to take my own life or he's going to kill me. And I have too much life to live. I stayed until March 1st. I know that sounds really crazy. Um, maybe part of me kept holding that hope to just continue going to therapy. The light would go on. But every time we got into therapy, it became more insane. Um, and it was right after a therapy session. My ex, I went on to work. We, we'd meet a therapist in the morning. Um, he called me that day and said, I'd like to talk to you tonight. I think we need to discuss some things. I said, okay. And I always hated hearing that because I knew it was a bash getting ready to happen. I go home that night and um, he says, what do you want to do? And I don't know. Something in me snapped and I very calmly said, I want out. I don't want to be here. And I was very calm. I was very rational. And he says, well, what is your plan? I said, well, I'll go stay with my mom for a while. Um, and he said, okay. We went to bed in two separate rooms. And the next morning, I get up. I start packing some stuff. You can hear me in the room crying, which I don't know if it was real or not. Um, and I continue packing. Well, I went and sat in the living room waiting for him to leave so I could finish. And he walks by and gives me a kiss and said, I'll see you tonight. This, this conversation never happened. Um, I, as soon as he left, I continued packing. I took off the day of work, and I just went to my mom's. I um, was at my mom's for about three weeks. I went no contact. And that's what my therapist told me to do, no contact. During this time, my middle son starts calling me and harassing me, telling me that um, his father doesn't behave this way. This is not how his father is. And that um, I'm the crazy one and that I needed to come home to restore our family. And I got these calls constantly from either my, 
my ex was from him at this point. And it was wearing me down, but it also was pushing me further away. It, it kind of, my eyes was kind of open. I'm like, oh my gosh, they're just alike. You know, they're doing the same tactics. And um, it got to the point where they thought they could sweet talk me and take me on trips and do these things. Well, just come on home and we'll go on this trip. I'm like, one, I'm not going on a, a, a fishing trip with you in the middle of the ocean because one was a fishing trip. I might not come back. Um, these fears were real. I mean, I didn't trust either one of them. And um, it got to the point where my middle son started becoming as abusive, if not more abusive, than his father towards me. He would show up at my job sites where I had employees and harass him. He'd call me on the phone and call me a fucking cunt and a fucking whore. He had proof I had affairs, which there was no proof. I'm like, bring all the proof you want. I don't care. And, and I even said to him, I said, if this is the case, then you should be happy I'm gone. Um, he would start stalking me on, like, Pinterest and things like this. I took that on my social media at this point. Um, but I had Pinterest. And then he'd screenshot it and sent me, this is childish. And it was silly things. And I'm like, why are you stalking me on Pinterest? Really? Come on. Um, he started driving by. I put a, a camera up in my parents' home. And... Um, because he started driving by. Was he doing this on behalf of his dad, or was he doing this on his own free will? I think both. Um, I think he was doing on be- not that his father was telling him to do these things, but I think he thought he was doing good by his father. And of the th- of your three children, uh, where does this child, I guess, slot in? Would he be? Uh, are they are they all the same type of personality, or are they all different personalities? No, they're all very different personalities. Um, you couldn't take three kids and put them in one family and them be completely different. I mean, they they are all three so different. Do they get along? But um, yes and no. Uh, this one I'm talking about in particular has the same relationship as his father does with his family. It's um, volatile and then it's great. It's volatile and then it's great. And uh, he's one of these people who has to have someone to be mad at all the time to still his wrath. And right now it's me. Um, He's, it got to a point where he was harassing me so much. He was using his wife's phone and his phone. I blocked him. And things were fine. And he has children, and he used those children against me. Um, you want to see your grandchildren? No, I don't think so. Um, and I was very close with my grandchildren. Uh, he uses them as pawns. He's also, in my opinion, very abusive to his wife. And so it's just like the cycle has started all over again. But in this last November, um, after I had blocked him, I hadn't talked to him in probably three, four months. Um, he calls me from a number that looked, it was a recognizable number on my phone. Um, let me back up. By this point, I've already separated from my ex. I've gotten an attorney. I started getting me back, you know, and standing on my own two feet and recovering and healing and still in therapy and, you know, being diagnosed with CPTSD. And um, But I stopped cutting. I quit drinking, um, started taking care of myself, started working out, just kind of getting back to normal who I was 
before all this. And in November, I get a call, and I had been waiting for a phone call from my attorney. We were making some um, changes in um, our separation agreement. So the number was familiar, and it rang, it called like three or four times. I like, better answer this, because I got leery about picking up my phone for just anybody, um, because this could be my attorney's office. And I answer it, and I said, hello. And um, he said, hey, Mom. I said, no, he said, hey, you know, he, he called me by name. And I was kind of taken back by it because I didn't recognize his voice at first, believe it or not. Um, and he says, this is your son. And I just said, what do you want? Because I know the point, what son it is. And he says, I just want you to know I'm going to kill myself, and it's going to be your fault. This is all your fault. Oh. I don't cry. I don't get Im- immediately emotional. And stupid me stuck on the phone with him for 45 minutes. Again, you keep hoping you can rationalize with these people and talk some sense into them. And you, and the guy at the point, like, yeah, I'm not making any headway here. I just hung up. I immediately called my attorney because um, part of our the agreement we were working on is um, since I'm the one who left. I still had personal property in the home, and upon our agreement is one of our children, adult children, had to be there when I had the movers there to take out my personal property, and I was fine with that. Um, I had to call my attorney immediately to tell her what had happened, and she said, you need to call the local sheriff's department, which is what I should have done. Um, and I had him taken out of that order, that he could not be this gun to be at the house with me. I... Um, did not call the sheriff's department. I actually called my oldest son and I said, listen, I don't know how to handle this. And he says, mom, he just called me and was all talking suicide stuff. He's, you know, he says, it's the same tactic we've heard a hundred times. He says, you do realize that you call the sheriff's department, they're going to show up his work and he could lose his job. And that should have not deterred me. But I think at this point I was thinking of my grandkids and getting another job and here they would have put him in a 72 mental health lockup. So all these things are going in my head, and I kind of got stuck back into that own mentality of, it's not that bad. This is my fault. Well, I then um, blocked that number. And New Year's Eve, um, and during this, all this, I have started dating. I know people think that's insane, but um, I have met someone who's going through a very similar situation I am. And we started as good friends, and now we are dating. Um, but we had a wedding to go on New Year's Eve. And I wasn't feeling great. So by 7.30 on New Year's Eve, after coming back from this wedding, I'm asleep. Apparently, I had all these texts come through. And it's, hey, beautiful, are you mad at me? Are you ignoring me? Um, please answer me. And I have a lot of clients who text me. So I'm trying not to be rude. Uh, and I have someone who will say, hey, beautiful, or whatever. I just didn't – something still felt very odd about it. And I just said, who is this? And then like, this person said, this is so-and-so from the bar the other night. And I'm like, I don't go to bars anymore. So I was a little intrigued. I thought, I'm getting set up. And they, this person on the other end says, how are your grandchildren? And I said, who is this again? And they said, oh, I must have the wrong number. I was like, I don't think so. Who is this? 
And, um, you know, again, this is so-and-so from the bar the other night. Yeah, we, we stepped out and had a cigarette. And I'm like, well, I quit smoking, so I don't think so. Um, and after pushing for more information, um, they finally said I was at one bar. It's more of a restaurant. And I hadn't been in this place in a year. So I knew right there, this is not possible. And I just nicely said, please never contact me again. At this point, I did not know who it was. Right after that, and I had to tell this person twice to leave me alone. Right after that, he exposes who it is. It's my son. And he tells me, yeah, this is your son, you fucking loser. Um, how could you do this to our father and our family? But I still love you. So, of course, it triggered me in a horrible way. And um, this is now falling over to New Year's Day. And everything's closed. I mean, I could have went to the sheriff's department and done all this, but I wanted to sit on it. And I contacted my attorney, and she said, this is harassment. This is fucking. You've done everything you can to prevent this. And he's not going to stop. He's showed up at your work. He's driven by your house. Um, you've, I've had to move into an apartment that I have security. You have to have a fob to get into it. There's cameras all over the place. I went and bought another car so they didn't know what I was driving. I mean, I'm taking extreme measures to, to hide myself. And um, I had to go to the courthouse in the second and pull a restraining order on him, which was not an easy thing to do, especially when it's your child. Um, so I had the restrainer pulled. Um, we had to go to court. And, you know, we're in the courtroom. And um, he, you know, was trying to make deals because they also took his weapons. He's a hunter, so they took all his weapons because it's a restraining order. You can't have guns. Uh, um, so, you know, he's trying to make a deal that he'd leave me alone, but he'd take his, as long as he could have his guns. And I just looked at my attorney and said, no, he's done this to other people, and he's actually taking guns down to kill other people. Backed out of it. I don't know if it's, you know, it, it, this is just really insane. <laughs> no. Um, so, of course, I have to get in there and testify on my behalf. He does not have an attorney. They gave him an opportunity to have an attorney. He thinks he's smarter than everyone in there. Um, you know, I'm producing all my evidence from the call, the text, the, you know, uh, witnesses in there who validate that he's shown up the job sites, that he's done all these things, he's driven by. And he drags my youngest son in. So now my youngest son has become, I wouldn't say a flying monkey like he has, but he's gotten enveloped in it. And I'll get to my youngest son, he's not harassing me, but he doesn't realize he's being manipulated to where the middle one is saying that, oh, I'm the victim, mom did this to me. Even though I had probably 20 things of evidence and he had one, and the one piece of evidence he produced in court actually worked in my favor. My attorney jumped up in the middle of court and said, I want this in evidence. And it was the evidence he presented. Um, but, you know, even on the witness stand, I'm distraught. I'm upset. This is very upsetting. I'm breaking out in hives. My attorney has to stop the proceeding to show the judge I'm so upset. I'm covered in hives. I'm having an asthma attack. And it was just unbelievable. But looking back, that is the response I had throughout the years. But being away from it for a long time, it becomes odd. And um, the judge read everything. I mean, the name calling, I mean, I had to go through everything. 
calling me the cunt and a whore. I mean, everything from the beginning. And she grants me my restraining order. You know, we get all the papers in and I leave before he can. And within days, my ex has started contacting me. And now he's trying to date me. Um, he don't want to live together, but he wants to date me. And I'm like, this is just the most absurd thing. We are three weeks from our divorce, and now you want to start dating me. It isn't going to happen. I'm in the most healthy place of my life. Um, like I said, I, I don't drink. I don't say at all because that's not true. But the drinking has gotten down to a bare minimum. Um, I've quit cutting myself. Um, during all this, from the stress of it, I was losing hair, like gobs of hair. My hair is getting thicker. Um, I'm, I'm just, my business is succeeding, but it took a lot of therapy. And I think the one biggest thing that has brought me to where I am today is I'm not religious, but I am spiritual. And I started praying a lot and I quit praying to fix them. I started praying to fix me, um, to let the anger go, to let to make me grow as a human being and not ever take the blinders off of me so when I see this behavior, I know it's wrong. And I'm going to say within 12 hours, this big release just came off of me. And I start smiling again. Um, people start noticing that I have a genuine smile on my face again. Um, I'm at ease. I'm not as hypervigilant. Not saying that I can't be triggered, <laughs> because I can. But um, it's been a long process, and I'm nowhere near where I need to be, but I am starting to see that light at the end of the tunnel. Did your Difficult. therapist see a lot of codependent behaviors with what you, yeah. was happening? So what kind of things yeah, did your uh, therapist have you work on? Um. We've kind of done different things because I've had to go in there, not with just the codependency, but the OCD and the racing thoughts and all that. So we've kind of hit things in different directions. Um, and I think he, I think the codependency was more on my part and I saw it. And because I was going to therapy, I just realized this and he just smiled and says, there it is. Um, but for me, the codependence was how I had to stop it was I had to just go no contact. I had to quit letting these people make me feel I had to be um, responsible for their feelings and their actions. I am not responsible for any of their feelings or their actions. And I had to learn not to let them get me to a point where I'm responding Back up, reacting. I can yeah, because it sounds like it's you know, especially with your son earlier, and yes. uh, you know, there you were reacting to something your ex was doing, and he uses that as mm -hmm. proof to your children of kind of what is going on, which then makes them question yes. who you are, and obviously one of your children, specifically the middle one, believes mm -hmm. all of that. Um, oh yeah. Uh, so are you divorced, uh, officially divorced yet or no? I will be officially divorced in three weeks. Um, okay, so I, kind of yeah, been I had no idea. Rain the reels of this, yeah. yeah. I had no idea when <laughs> you on the phone divorced. that this has not uh, officially happened. So 30 years yeah. of marriage in three weeks is about to, is about to end. And yes. 
so in one way you won't have to deal with your husband in a strange way anymore because yes you do have children with him but your middle child you'll still have to i mean you have a grieving process process to do i mean this is 30 years of your life you have a brand new life but there's still a child involved have you discussed Mm -hmm. with your therapist about how you grieve a child who is still alive but is lost in in a way and that it, there's a big possibility that you will never get th- that child back in you know yeah. and it's nothing that you can do it's nothing that was your fault in any way but it just you know your child has the same issues as his dad and there's nothing you can do about it um so how are you dealing mentally with that um, that's actually been probably the hardest part of it. Cause with that, I don't just lose my son. I'm losing my grandchildren. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I have to look at it as a sense. I will always love my son. He's my flesh and blood. I want to love him. And I don't, you know, some people like you have, you must act like he's dead. No, I don't act like he's dead. Mm-hmm. I love him, but he's toxic to me and I can continue to love him from afar. I don't have to have the relationship with him. Um, and there are times where I still tear up and think about when he was a little boy and, you know, all that. Um, but I, I guess, though, you do kind of grieve like you've lost your son to death because you do realize they're never going to change. And um, he looks at women like – I'm trying to find a good word. He looks at – he's very misogynistic. He really looks down at women. and He looks at them like possessions. He looks at women like they're possessions. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Um, much like his father does. So his father says, I put you on a pedestal. I'm like, I don't want to be on a pedestal. And I realized this was love bombing, even though I kind of saw through it. Um, and my son does the same things. Um, and I had to realize that my mental health isn't worth even my children sometimes. I know that's really hard to say, but they're adults. And um, if he's killing me emotionally, I'm no good. I'm not going to be a slave to to him and be treated this way. But, yes, you do grieve, and it's not an easy road at all. I grieve more for my son than I do my ex, absolutely. So it's, there's no right or wrong way of doing it, I guess. And my therapist will say, you know, to take every day as it comes um, and realize where you are right now. Um, don't, don't allow them to get a reaction out of you. And eventually, you know, this will help me, and it has. But, you know, I, I can't give you, a, like, a straightforward answer because it's so... Uh, it's so entangled um so before we end off our show what kind of advice or or what do you have to say to everyone who is in your situation um get out i yeah like i said i did this for 30 years and no one should be treated this way men women children anybody and if, pe- if 
given my circumstances, I stayed with this man and I allowed my children to see behavior for years. And it's not healthy for your children. It's not healthy for you. And there's a good chance that these children could turn out to be just like your abuser. I have one. And you think, well, it's not going to affect me. Yes, it is. And there is part of a guilt there that I should have left years ago. Um, but, yeah, you have to take care of you first. If you are not the best person you can be and these people are bringing you down, it's okay to be a little selfish and take care of yourself. Because if you're not taking care of yourself, you can't take as care of your family or raise your children to be healthy. Well, I just want to thank you, Lisa, for being on the show today and sharing your story. And I know there's a lot of people out there who will learn a lot from your experience, you know, bringing something to the show that we haven't heard before. We haven't heard anything like this with uh, an adult child uh, after uh, being raised. And, and uh, so it's a pretty unique. And I know this is going to help a lot of people out there who are dealing with this and don't know what to do and have an experience. And you've uh, handled it in, in a really uh, thoughtful and um, I'm not going to use the word interesting, a very thoughtful and understanding way with uh, care and still loving your heart, which I'm sure is very difficult for a lot of people. So I just want to thank you for being part of our show. And um, for everyone out there who is listening, I hope you all have a good night. <laughs>